Hello there, everyone. Welcome back to Mars on Life. Uh, this is going to be a much different episode this time around. My name is Ryan Mancini, and with me joined joined with me as always. Yeah, my who, the hell, who the hell are you? <laughs> I'm Sebastian Shug, as always. Um, a little bit of a different circumstance as of now. Uh, currently in Colorado. Not going to tell you where. Uh, all I will tell you is that I do get winded going up the stairs of this house that I'm in. So that's a highlight. But this episode isn't about you or me. We have some guests with us. So why don't we go ahead and introduce them? Hey, um, okay. So I'll take a, I guess I'll take a little bit of time and kind of give myself a, or give you guys my background. Um, so most recently, I mean, currently I'm a freelance journalist. Um, currently in downtown Los Angeles, but previously I was the uh, co-editor of the Los Angeles Downtown News, which covers, as the name suggests, downtown Los Angeles. Uh, Previous to that, I was the editor of the Calaveras Enterprise. This is kind of a little small uh, paper in kind of a gold mining town up north. Uh, And prior to that, I was at the Sundial with uh, Ryan Mancini. Um, I guess that's kind of the background, and now I'm just kind of covering these protests. uh, And uh, Thanks for having me on. You bet, man. You bet. It's Sundial lineage is strong. Um, hi, I'm Crystal Duan. I, I guess I identify as a freelance journalist, even though I primarily, I guess I moonlight as a freelance journalist, but I mostly do spiritual consulting as a tarot reader these days. Um, and, but I did go to journalism school at Mizzou during the era of Ferguson and when Black Lives Matter first started beginning to gain traction. So I've been to my share fair share of, I guess, rallies for racial justice um, on my campus. And also while I was interning around the country as a political reporter, often um, I've worked at the Indianapolis Star, the Minneapolis Star Tribune, freelanced a couple things for the Washington Post and covered a midterm election for the Santa Clara Valley Signal. And I'm here today after having attended one of the first round of protests here in L.A. on Saturday. So, yeah. Um, hi, I'm Mike. I'm an alcoholic. Um, <laughs> hi, Mike. Hi. Thank you. Thank hi, you. Mike. <laughs> um, no, I, I don't know. I guess I'm, I'm your average 2020 um, millennial that's living through another catastrophic economic downturn. Um, and during the coronavirus, have been unemployed and during the last couple of weeks um, have been watching the protests and things on the news and kind of got tired of simply watching them on the news and thought about what, what I'm going to talk about 10 years from now, 20 years from now, what I'm going to tell people what it was like. Um, and if I'm going to tell them that I sat back and judged and watched it all on the news and let the media tell me what was going on, or if I can tell them no, that I was out there in the shit, um, witnessing it for myself, and I'm really glad I did. Yeah, that's that's kind of, I guess that's something that a fair number of us are all feeling and thinking right now. I guess to, just to kind of continue the conversation forward, I guess we'll officially start it. I guess the first question to kind of set everything off is... Beginning with you, Sean, um, tell us a little bit about what you've seen in the past week, um, 
along with where where you you went because I know you were in some parts of downtown right. when the protests were kind of getting started. But I'll I'll let you tell it. Yeah. Um. So I've been pretty much stationed in downtown, um, in and around downtown, um, for about the last. I've been to about five days worth of protests. I want to say five to six days, um, worth of protests. Um, you know, for varying amounts of time. You know, my first experience, I, I guess I didn't expect it to escalate the way it did. Um, you know, it, it's, it really started to go down along Spring Street. I don't know. Um, how familiar are you guys with downtown? Before I know, I where, I know where Spring Street is. Yeah, so it, it kind of started along Spring Street. Um, you know, people had kind of moved over from um, Figueroa Corridor um, to Spring Street, and that's where the police had set up their barricade to kind of stop protesters from getting to um, the Civic Center. Um, and kind of that clash there really is kind of what started the quote-unquote riot, right? Um, I guess some people want to call it riots, some people want to call it looting, um, you know, uh, whatever you want to call it, things got broken into. Um, but that aggression right there between not just the police, but the the, the protesters as well, you know, um, kind of caused this powder keg, um, which kind of led to these curfews and what we're seeing now. And I don't think that we've you know, a few days down the line, I don't think that we've gotten over that first couple of days um, here in Los Angeles. I know across the nation, things are different, but here in Los Angeles, I would argue that it's been relatively peaceful for the last couple of days. Wouldn't you guys agree? At least from what I've seen. Yeah. Um, the yeah. protests that I've been to, um, I know Saturday and Sunday were really bad. Um, mm -hmm. And the past two days have been <clears throat> um, relatively peaceful. Yeah. But again, um, there's there's two sides to this, right? You have two different factions out there. You have the peaceful protesters that are out there for Black Lives Matter and uh, for Breonna Taylor and for George Floyd. And then there are, uh, from what I've seen personally, the majority are white people and um, far right white supremacist groups. Um, looting and rioting and f spreading false uh i've seen a lot of bullshit go on instagram where it's meant to scare people that a protest is coming but it's it's not mm -hmm. like um what happened in santa clarita valley today ryan i guess in in regards to that it's it's very tricky just because of uh you know i as listeners have probably realized from uh, listening to our show, they can probably guess that I live close to Santa Clarita. And, uh, I, yeah, there's been peaceful protests going on out here. I know there's a lot of misinformation regarding a major protest later this week, which, depending on how soon we're able to get the, this episode up, they may have already happened. They may have not. Um, but I guess uh, to keep it off, to kind of keep it off myself, Crystal, I guess – Kind of the same. I'll, I'll kind of posit the same question to you that I asked Sean. Yeah. So um, I was at the protest um, that started at Pan Pacific Park in West Hollywood um, on Saturday, this past Saturday, which was uh, May 30th, I believe. Yes. Um, so I was there at the very beginning. Um, I marched until we reached, I think it was like Third Street or something. Like, where the bus was, people started seeing, like, footage of, like, you know, like, people shooting, like, 
um, rubber bullets. I heard all that. I like was face to face with like people in military gear. I don't think that was National Guard. But yeah, I guess I was at basically the first really formally organized Black Lives Matter like rally. And, and yeah, things just got set on fire right away. There was a gas station set on fire and then a police car like they hotwired police cars, I think, and like put them in the street and people started defacing them and they were not black people. They were quite a few white people. Um, mm. Yeah. And then smoke started billowing and i think that's when ryan saw my instagram stories and was like hey mm-hmm. hey want to come on this podcast so yeah but i only went to that um protest uh because we have a curfew right now here um and uh yeah i just haven't gone out but i do live in like i live kind of between koreatown and west hollywood so i can hear like police sirens pretty much like twice an hour like in the evenings so i can still hear everything going on there's gunshots and fireworks going off in my neighborhood and people yelling all the time um so i guess i still feel like i'm kind of in the middle of the action even though i haven't uh gone back for now and i don't feel necessarily comfortable going back out um mm-hmm. and in koreatown um i saw the national guard like you know with their tanks and everything like guarding like the places I've eaten and drink and walked around because Koreatown is one of my main hangouts um, as an Asian American. So it's pretty interesting to kind of be seeing that. Uh, Yeah. And like, yeah, like a lot of places like towards the east part of town, like, you know, have heavily guarded security now. Um, But yeah, like on Saturday, what I saw uh, was mostly it was just honestly a huge demonstration like Octavia Spencer spoke um it was pretty just yeah peaceful people were wearing masks and it was maybe like around like it started at noon it was probably around three or four when things started getting really hectic and yeah then I came home and yeah that's when they were starting to announce curfew and um, I guess I got the very very beginning of it I think like the atmosphere and I was really interested in the fact that there are a lot of non-black people there, mostly a lot of white people, Latinos there, not a lot of Asian Americans, but, you know, there were some there, too. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, like, people were, like, crying and being, like, I want to, you know, take, I want to pay retributions for what my ancestors have done. Like, I want to do better. Like, people were saying that. And I have never seen that sort of attitude at any of the racial justice rallies I've covered in the last four years. Um because I have seen them around the country. Like, I've seen them in Indianapolis, Minneapolis, um, you know, obviously at Mizzou, like the St. Louis area, the Columbia, Missouri area, D.C. Um, there were also such rallies, especially before Trump got elected. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but um, I have never seen anything quite like it here in L.A. And I've never seen people be protesting, but also I can see the looks in their eyes of how they feel toward the police. Like the vibe was just, oh my God, we're running and eluding the police. And, you know, LAPD and like, you know, police brutality is very, I guess, legendary as someone who's lived around the country and like has kind of heard people speak of LA before. I guess I got to see firsthand how it is a very polarizing sort of connection people have with the police here. It's not as much, like it's, it's different in the Midwest. Like, I would say that the fear is so ingrained that it's, like, second nature. But here, people are, like, aware of the fear, wanting to defy it, very much, like, ready to fight. So a lot of people have actually been messaging me from outside of L.A. 
because they are more attuned to the news happening in LA compared to maybe it's just me being self-centered, but I feel like the, a lot of the conversation centers on not just Minneapolis, but also LA. Like people on Twitter are going off about LA and all this stuff. So it's interesting mm-hmm. to be in the middle. LA's history with the Los Angeles Police Department is it's it's two things that you can never take apart from each other and it's it's two things that are probably going to be linked to each other from now until the end of time um and I guess uh Mike to you now uh you know kind of the same question I guess what what was some of the stuff that you've gotten to see I know that you've been nearly everywhere it seems like every time I find you on Instagram you're you're in one part of SoCal and then you're in another part. <laughs> First, yeah, LAPD is probably the scariest gang on the planet. Um, Rodney King and then um, watching them chase OJ Simpson. Like, you just don't fuck with the LAPD because they will kill you. Um, but even with saying that, I know those are empty words for me because I know they won't kill me. Um I'm afraid of them, sure, but I know the chances of me getting killed by a cop are 10 times less likely than they are of somebody else being killed by a cop out here. Um, I started protesting on Saturday with a couple friends of mine. Um, We were actually probably right near where you were, Crystal, um, Mm -hmm. in West Hollywood, and um, we marched and we had seen a lot of um, a lot of boarded up buildings and a lot of buildings that hadn't been boarded up yet, but were already smashed and burned down and looted, um, tagging everywhere. Um, the the vibe that I got from the march that we were in um, was no justice, no peace, fuck these racist ass police. And there was a lot of power in those words. Um, The vibe was, today, now, um, I feel like there's a lot more solidarity with the cops, with more of them uh, kneeling during protests and getting on the news and um, kneeling with protesters, peaceful protesters. That's become more common today uh much more than it was on saturday um on saturday there was i could smell the fear um i could see cops going to and from certain destinations probably to and from their um their precincts um in all four of them in an unmarked car so that to me means that they would all park their civilian cars and then be in a group because they're afraid i'm assuming um and then going to work together and leaving together and then i was in van nuys and van nuys was the most heavy uh police occupation activity whatever you want to call it um van nuys boulevard was shut down from victory Van Nuys and Victory south to however far down I could see, which um, was not very far. There were, um, per intersection, per side, I counted 15 motorcycles blocking each side. of So four sides of the intersection, 15 motorcycles, so 15, 30 
45 and 60. I can do math. Um, with all of those officers in riot gear with shotguns pulled out and um, I'm assuming rubber rubber bullets, rubber bullets loaded. Um, by the time I got to Van Nuys, they had already started to barricade all of us in. They had already um, started arresting many people um, and they had already started firing on the crowd. Um, I parked far away like I usually do and I walk over and I couldn't even get to the protest at this point. It was the the cops were blocking the protest away from anybody joining um, and I could just hear screams and sirens and people running down alleyways, limping down alleyways. Um, I had noticed that I walked by a, a police SUV and I didn't even notice until I was walking back that it had been fully tagged up, um, glass broken. And this was, again, a much more vibe of fuck the police. The next day I went to CSUN and this was a breath of fresh air. Um, the Black Lives Matter Northridge had organized a, um, a protest for two hours, I believe. Um, and we we sat on Reseda and Plummer. Um, <laughs> that intersection is pretty, pretty big and pretty crazy. And literally sat in the middle of the intersection with police, heavy police presence. And um, that vibe of fuck the police was no longer there. That vibe of their, their, the enemy was no longer there. Um, the police were blocking traffic for us to march peacefully and safely, um, blocking traffic for us to cross the street and um, then move back into the campus where we were on the lawn um, for another hour or so. Um, and then today was at Pierce College and it was um, a, a very nice, peaceful protest. <laughs> the um, And sorry, I don't mean to cut you off if you're not finished, but the, no. the, dich the dichotomy of it is is really weird because I've, I've been seeing on social media the the solidarity of, you know, some police officers who are kneeling with the protesters. And I think that's amazing. Um, I'm not sure... And you guys can provide some commentary on this, but I, at least the people I follow, they've been kind of saying that once the pictures and the videos and the articles are taken and written and all is said and done, they're just going right back to tear gassing and beating them. Again, I'm not so sure of the truth of that. Maybe Mancini can chime in on that. But is is that true? They're just kind of doing it for, you know, for public publicity? Yeah. Well, I mean, I was at a protest um, on Monday, on Monday um, over at the LAPD headquarters. And, you know, for about five minutes, I think there was chance of, um, you know, take a knee, take a knee, take a knee. And eventually um, uh, one officer did take a knee. Mm -hmm. And, you know, great feel good moment, right? And then I caught out of the corner of my eye an officer recording it. Oh, okay. You know, a couple of officers recording it. And of course, as soon as, you know, that as soon as it was done, yeah, they kind of turned around, went back into formation um, and kind of put up that stance again. So 
um, I haven't experienced any of the tear gassing, you know, the rubber bullet stuff like that, but, or, you know, for that exact um, particular uh, instance, but that's been my experience with kind of these shows of um, solidarity is that they very much are photo ops. Mm-hmm. Well, actually that leads into the next, that segues into the next question actually pretty flawlessly um, because, and this is just a general question for everyone here. Uh, you know, what was it like being amongst the protesters and, you know, talking to interviewing people as, you know, freelance journalists or even just as a fellow protester? Um, because kind of continuing on the dichotomy point, you know, a lot of people, I think, are now feeling as if they're sacrificing their social distancing measures to do this. OK, so, you know, Everyone's wearing masks, everyone's wearing specific clothing so that they can't be identified. You know, that's all deliberate. What do you what is the what is the scene like if you could paint a picture of it? How would it what would it look like? Well, uh, Mike, something that Mike had said earlier, um, you know, I want to chime in at that moment, but I didn't um, because he was right on. He hit the, the nail right on the head that it's. There's the solidarity has kind of started to solidify a little bit. So in those early days, it kind of see, it was very different than what you're hearing now. Um, in those very you know in the early days, it very much was fuck the police. It was very aggressive, very um, um, I, I don't want to say militant. I, I think that's not the right word, but you know very you know we want to burn down the system um, from a few of these protesters. And then of course. You know, it. You've had just as much of the. Um, you know, we need to mend the system out there, uh, just as well. And but now we're starting to hear a lot more of the. We need to just mend fences. Um, we we have to find a way to mend fences. Um, that's kind of what been my experience so far. I mean, I wasn't there as a journalist um, in that capacity, which is mm. funny because in previous times I was in that capacity. But um, I guess. I guess I just, like, feel kind of like uh, it was just, like, being among people that want to rally change. Like, I don't necessarily have, like, an outright impression I can share other than, like, you know, people were, yeah, like, just kind of, like, hugging each other, kind of nodding at each other, like, yelling. Like, people would chant or start chants, and then everyone join in. I mean, it was, like, I guess what you'd expect if you've been to a protest. If you haven't, I don't really know. How else to describe it? But I would say that the atmosphere was genuinely, like, very united at a surface level. Obviously, there were people, you know, in the crowds to instigate and, you know, rile shit up. But at the time, like, where I was there, which I don't think is necessarily a very accurate picture because I was only there for, like, three, three, four hours compared to how many hours protests have gone on now – but yeah, I guess like the atmosphere was very much like we're fed up. We want to like use this like mass to demonstrate that we are united and we're trying to make a difference. And I guess with that historical context of like in 1968, there was also this like nationwide sort of movement. And it's even bigger now. I think that that made it feel more like epic. I was definitely very moved to see all that. But yeah, like everyone was just moving in one wave and so yeah mm-hmm. so one thing i think you know there's a huge difference in in the civil rights movement that happened in the 60s versus um the george floyd 
Black Lives Matter protests that are happening in 2020. And I see a lot of people that are protesting today because they want to protest, because they believe in the movement. Um, but there's a good amount of people that are doing it with a filter and doing it for the gram and then going mm-hmm. home and turning off their phone and then just not thinking about it. Um, when you were protesting in the sixties, I would imagine, I don't know, I wasn't fucking there, but I would imagine, um, you weren't doing it because you had an Instagram following or something. Um, you were doing it because you wanted to be on the right side of history. And I know that that's my main reason for getting out there. Um, I, I want to be able to say I, I was there, I stood with them, my friends, and we fought. Um, I've seen some people um, go out to protest for one day and it's all very overwhelming. It's, it's a lot of, it's a lot happening at once. Um, and you're, you're witnessing Petco's that you used to go to that are all boarded up and places that you used to be and go bars you used to go to with your friends that aren't open one because of coronavirus and two, because they're destroyed by looting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's very overwhelming and it's it's a huge uh lure for for people that want to say well don't forget about me today it's i mean i don't know if you if you all read the uh ceo of target is um they're giving everyone two weeks vacation pay and full employee benefits um like he's completely fine with people you know kind of writing and I guess, trashing Target, um, which is very progressive of him in that he actually gives a shit about his employees. Yeah. But it's, I'm just amazed what kind of people will do as like precautionary measures as, you know, this is, this is an unavoidable thing that we just have to, you know, I don't want to say weather out because that may sound a little bit, you know, demeaning to those who are actually there at the protests, but you know, this is an action that needs to take place. And, it's just a it's just a matter of getting through it as a little bit of a side tangent aside from these current protests going on where you live um have you been to any others or you know do you plan to move in you know in the coming days to you know attend more or what's what's it looking like i know the curfew has kind of put a damper on being out at all at the moment so, yeah, um, tell us about that. Um, yeah, so I, I've, I've only been to the downtown ones as of uh, today, but I've, I've attempted to try to get to some of the, the other ones. Kind of uh, on the west side was sparking up. I tried to get to that one, um, but I've just kind of tried to stick in my da- downtown area. Um, I keep kind of conflicting, fighting with myself. I am a freelance journalist, but as you know, Ryan knows, um, I, I cover downtown. So I feel kind of weird pulling myself out of downtown to cover other parts of the city. Um, but the other side of me really wants to see these other protests because um, 
you know, I'm covering this as just me now. You know, I'm not covering this for downtown news anymore. So, um, you know, I do eventually want to get out there and check it out. Um, but, you know, I, I'm the thing that I keep running into is this um, there seems to be a lot of misinformation really early on when I'm in the planning stages mm-hmm. um, to kind of I don't drive. Um, I use public transportation to get around um, the way I get around downtown during these protests is on my bike. So if you're down there, you'll see me flying around on my bike, shooting off photos. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just getting around to the city once I hear about these things has been a little difficult. Um, and I can imagine that's kind of the same. I guess I was motivated to go because I wanted to show my support and solidarity. Uh, and I guess like, you know, for me, like I have not been doing journalism for about six months now, really. Um, I've been actually trying to get out of the field, to be frank. And, you know, usually I've just, you know, a lot of I've been to maybe like 20 some rallies now in the last few years over the country and I never got to be there as someone showing solidarity. I had to be there as someone showing objectivity, even at rallies for like, you know, like governor Pence who became the VP, like things like that. I had to like go to, you know, Trump rallies too. Like, so I've been to so many and I guess to me, what motivated me was I was so curious to see if anything's really changed, if any of the rallies that came before these made a difference. And I feel like they did like, um, I, I was there kind of as a concerned citizen, but also someone who has bore witness to multiple like flavors of these sentiments, like maybe more than the average person who was there. Like I lived in eight states where I turned 23 and it's just so different this time. So I think I was there to appreciate the change I've been intuiting has been coming. And that was really important for me to witness as someone who could participate in celebrating that rather than pretend they had no opinion as a journalist. You know, I no longer drink that Kool-Aid in that sense. Not shitting on journalism, you know, because I do think that like... No, 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 it d- definitely. And, I, and I'm sorry, <laughs> I don't mean to cut you off, but I, I think that there is a lot of, you know, and I know, a, you know, I want to say four out of the five people here come from at least somewhat of a journalistic background. I studied communications. That the being said... Oh, all right. <laughs> that being said, I know that there are a lot of I, I want to say, and I've said this in previous episodes, but, you know, Z-list journos, you know, half cocked who stand up on a soapbox and really try to uh, spin a yarn in a lot of ways. And, you know, they're not doing it for historical relevance, but they are doing it to make a story seem interesting. And granted, you have to do that. But you know, at, at what cost, you know, your dignity. Okay. Well, I, I suppose, I suppose what, what Sebastian's trying to say is, is that, you know, you'll have people who will go out there cause you know, obviously journalism, the industry itself is crumbling before our very eyes uh, with the help of coronavirus. It was already that way in the, over the last 20 years. And these days, Sometimes it's even more and more frustrating when, especially now, when you have a lot of journalists on furlough, you're basically relying on a lot of just eyewitnesses and a smaller number of journalists to get an authoritative uh, account of what is happening. And I guess there's a balance to be had in being a journalist who's there to cover something just because it's your job. But then there's also the people out there that just go out for the clout chasing 
Mm-hmm. However, there's also the journalists that go out there that they are going out of solidarity and they feel that this is the message that needs to be heard right now. Um, and I think that's just it for journalists, you know, and maybe I'm, I'm too rash in speaking for um, all, all three of us is that, you know, uh, myself, Crystal and Sean, that, you know, we all have that instinct of, well, I got to go check this out. You know, I need to be there. I need to see what's happening. And I guess that that's kind of a a good impulse to have if you're, you know, trying to right. be a storyteller. But on top of that, you're also you're documenting history. You know, journalism to a large degree should should and always must be about documenting history. And I guess that's something that we can all sort of adhere to, even those of us that haven't been in the journalism field. Um, I, I guess simply put, if you're utilizing journalism for the sake of social media clout, then I, you know, that's where I kind of have considerably less respect, you know, um, for the sole instance of popularity is kind of my point. This is how I see it though. Um, so what I want to say in this general sense is, so I think often this like anecdote of like, okay, if like some random dude goes to a soup kitchen he volunteers there like every week or something and he is doing it because he wants to look really cool he wants he's a a clout chaser he wants to be like putting it on his resume or something like whatever but at the end of the day are the people helped are the people you know the soup kitchen is helping is he still contributing even if his intentions are quote misplaced so i guess by that vein i think that i'm not going to sit here and like judge necessarily someone's intentions for going to that protest okay unless they like in action start looting and shooting and shit that'd be bad but i do think that every person that shows up whether it's a journalist whether it's like an activist trying to be kind of performative i do think that at the end of the day if you're spreading awareness of what's going on just by showing up or adding to at least the gathering to me, I think all I can ask for from people, because I have very low expectations for them at this point, is that you add to, like, the history books by showing up mm-hmm. and documenting it. So at the end of the day, I guess, like, I personally, when I say I'm not in journalism at this moment, I don't have any issue with people that, like, are, because I can still see the collective impact. And, again, in the case of the guy in the soup kitchen, you can then argue that if he goes on to do problematic things because he's actually so riddled with clout chasing he's doing all these shady things or whatever um and and then you can maybe then go okay his intentions matter way more because maybe he's ripping people off in some other area of his life but in terms of if you just look at the soup kitchen like kind of instance where he's making a good impact even if he doesn't have his heart in the right place so to speak that's how i view anyone who goes to these protests um, whatever your motivation for going is, as long as you're not, you know, like escalating it by like throwing stuff at the police and then making them like do shit or whatever. If you're just there out of morbid curiosity, out of performative allyship or something, you're still contributing to the cause. And I guess I feel like it's a high ask. It's a very like large ask to say that every single person has to have the exact same types of morals 
in the context of this historical thing we're trying to get the masses because the masses of all degrees of like skeletons in their closets all varying degrees of moral stances on various issues but if they can all at least unite to show up here and bring awareness so we all can get the conversation going it's far more progress than what's happening like even last year so i guess to me i'm like i'm not gonna sit here and judge someone's intentions and such with going you know so that's how Mm -hmm. i see it no, very well said. Um, yeah. You know, I always thought it was like it, it could have been, you know, one or the other. But no, you are right. You know, the fact that people are out here for a stance, for a reason, you know, really, no matter what their intentions are, they are contributing. And um, no, bravo. No, really. <laughs> yeah, the soup kitchen analogy. I have yeah, no, I, I love that. Ah, it's it's a fair point. It really, really, really is. And it's I, I hear you one thousand percent. My mom asked me like, how many like how many more days are you gonna do this? And uh, this was today, and I was just like, uh, I'm gonna go until I can't. She had mentioned something about next week and that they'll probably be over by then, and I just kind of uh, I laughed because. I don't see that happening. I don't see these protests happening. Um, I don't see these protests ending um, next week. Um, I think we just heard about um, a Black Lives Matter um, solidarity march on June 14th. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, let's say at least until the 15th, to be fair, right? I was scared. I was supposed to go back to work um, tomorrow. Um, I was supposed to start coronavirus um, safety training to go back to my work at a restaurant in um, Los Angeles. And I feel like they're opening the restaurants too soon, but that's a whole nother discussion. Um, and I'm not going to work tomorrow because the National Guard is in front of my restaurant. Um Wow. So now I'm not scheduled to go back until the 10th. Um, So I can tell you that I will be going to Black Black Lives Matter protests until I can't. And um, I want to kind of just brush on something that I talked to... um, I talked to somebody at the BLM Northridge chapter um, at CSUN and um, you know, it's hot as hell when we're out there. It was 105 today. Um, And I want to applaud everybody that's coming out there with ice and water for everybody snacks for everybody. It's not just someone showing up with a water bottle for their themselves. People are running around with cases, 24 packs of Arrowhead water, cold Arrowhead water, running around with these these water, giving it to everybody marching, and then running back to their car to go get another one, and then running back and meeting up with us. Um, I had talked to one of these guys that was doing just that um, when we had all dispersed, and the, the threat of the coronavirus has been which seemed to be very real. Um, it still is very real as far as I'm concerned. Um, but that kind of outweighs 
what I feel to be more important is to be out there marching and to be out there protesting. Um, look, I'm going to call it right here and say, like, these protests are going to lead to a lot more coronavirus, coronavirus cases in the mm-hmm. next two weeks. Um, you know, I'll probably have it, <laughs> um, but I'll live through it. I'm not afraid of that. My friend Ian might not be able to go outside and live through it. When I was talking to my friend about the George Floyd video, and by the way, if you haven't already watched the video of this man getting lynched in the street, do yourself a favor and watch it from the beginning all the way through not just the little bleeps that the news is showing you. This man was killed in cold blood in the street by a police officer while his partner stood in front of him, protecting him. And as George Floyd spoke his last words, I can't breathe. People were trying to get this officer to get his fucking knee off his neck and he wouldn't do it so my friend ian said you know mike if i was there i would have died that day and i was confused he said because i would have tackled that cop and then his partner would have shot me george floyd would be alive maybe might have already been too late but then my friend would have been dead That's not something that I've ever personally been concerned about with a police officer um, strangling me and suffocating me in the street in front of my friends and family. I've had fear of being arrested before, sure. But then given due process, not done in the street like a dog. And so I'm going to keep doing this until I can't. For all three of you, when you've been out, have have there ever been moments where you've either felt worried about your safety, either in regards to authorities and or coronavirus? Because um, I know that's that's probably, you know, Mike, Mike pointed it out perfectly is that, you know, all of this is happening and it's beautiful, but there's still a plague going on. Um you know, obviously, I, I I know we've all been wearing masks because I've seen everybody in a mask, um, myself included. But yeah, I guess Sean, kind of starting with you, what what's kind of been your thought process with just staying staying safe, both physically but also just your health in general? Well, I mean, I'll be honest, um, not too concerned about the coronavirus. Um, if I get it, I get it. If I don't, I don't. I don't like to worry about stuff like that. You know, I do what um, I try to stay as far away from people as I can um, when I'm out there. Um, I keep my mask on at all times. Sometimes I wear two. Um, you know, I keep one of the the more disposable ones under, and then the uh, the more permanent ones on top. Um, so in, in that regard, um, I'm not really thinking too much about it. And I can't imagine a lot of people out there 
are, so to speak, uh, based off of just the way the crowd moves. Um, but I could be wrong. But in terms of like my personal safety, um, I, I guess I'll just start. I mean, I'm 28 years old. I'm black. Um, you know, I'm tall. Um, I've always felt a little bit like I, I cast a little bit of a figure. Um, and I've had run-ins with the police. You know, every person, any black man my age is going to have run-ins with the police. So I'm already at a kind of a heightened sense of awareness in these situations. Um, I've, I, when I go out there, I have my backpack. It's my go bag, of course, you know, my, my normal journalism stuff. But I also have a lot of legal placards and information just in case I have to call a lawyer. Um, you know, Twitter, thankfully, a lot of uh, pro bono um, services have been offered. And I've been <laughs> reaching out to every single one that's in my area just to let them know I exist. Um, just in case they do get a ring from me. Um, I did get threatened with arrest a couple of times on Thursday. Um, I was hit with a rubber bullet in the shoulder. Um, so it's no game. Um, you really have to be prepared in case you do run into something. Um, and I just, you know, speaking as a journalist, you know, I'll speak as a journalist and I'll speak just as a black man, but speaking as a journalist, you know, for any young journalist going out there, be prepared. You do, you know, these guys, I mean, I'm, I'm a clearly marked journalist and I'm being threatened with arrest. That's terrifying in our right. field that, that perverts every single protection that we have as journalists. Um, and it just casts it aside and nothing's going to happen in those situations. Um, that's the unfortunate part is if I get cuffed there and I get cited, that's it. Like that, nothing's going to happen to that cop. You know, nothing's going to happen down the line. I, that's it. Um, that abuse of power does not get followed up on. And of course, I mean, we're out there marching about far more serious things than journalists getting cuffed, but that is a scary situation on the grander scheme of things, if you ask me. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, on the grander scheme of things, as people are marching and as we're marching about talking about civil liberties, you know, one of the most important liberties that we have, freedom of the press, is being destroyed or being um, slowly shot chipped. at. Yeah, I wouldn't even say it's slowly chipped away at. It's almost like somebody's taken a sledgehammer to it. And we've, we've seen that almost, um, you know, we've, we've been seeing that over the past four years or so. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I don't think I've seen it so up close and personal until um, these last few days. Right. So, I, you know, I, I just, you know, I just want to reiterate, if you're going out there, just be prepared. Um, I just really want people to be prepared and know that, you know, it could go down. Um, I, 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 it just popped in my head. I'm sorry. But, um, you know, on one of those first nights, the fire department shows up. Mm -hmm. And in my head, you know, I had this running joke. It's like, why does anyone protest against the fire department? Because they don't kill people. They just go out there and save lives. Right? <laughs> And so the fire, and there's, there's been a few fires set in the street at this point. So of course they're here. I mean, it's in the intersection. So I understand why they're there, but they're trying to get through cars. I mean, there's a lot of crowds, you know, surrounding this fire engine and the fireman turns the hose on the crowd. Um, and I haven't seen that caught on video anywhere, but he purposely turned this hose on the crowd. Um, and to me, I'm just like, Jesus Christ, you know, every single, you know, totem is starting to be torn down here. And that just led to more aggression. So just understand that it can go down. Keep your wits about you. Um, so, I mean, because I can only imagine, you know, how you would instinctively react in that situation and how bad that could have gotten, um, you know, because there's a line of cops. And I'm pretty sure that line of cops aren't going to like, you know, seeing that poor fireman 
uh, quote unquote, poor firemen, um, you know, be accosted, so to speak. So yeah, just be prepared. Um, so I'm Asian American and um, I guess like any feelings of unsafety were more so because I was a woman and I was largely running around solo at this protest. So I didn't really feel any like more or less safe than I probably would like just walk around the streets in general when people are like just a lot of people around because you know don't I don't go to concerts because mosh pitting is very dangerous for a 5-1 girl like me so I guess in that sense I really I was really really able to identify that I am not black and I'm not afraid of police in the same way I'm afraid of large crowds and I am afraid of just you know being alone in large crowds as a smaller person but yeah, like I guess it is a privilege to be able to say that I don't have to worry about like overcompensating and showing I'm a safe person and I'm not a threat to you in general as someone who isn't black and is also very physically short and tends to not take up a lot of space. So that was something I was in acknowledgement of. I guess I was more afraid of like the fact that I was aware just from being anecdotally exposed to everything that the police were potentially already told to like use like lethal force or whatever. And I could very well just be collateral, right? Like if they saw me, if I, they pulled me over, I wouldn't be scared. But in that context, cause I was aware they were targeting people there. I did feel less safe, but I also, and I guess I also felt less safe because I was aware that this is a global pandemic still, but I guess I did feel like, it was at least justified now to, like, put your money where your mouth is, where, oh, we are all at risk. Coronavirus doesn't care, like, what skin color you have is just going to kill you anyway. So it's like, in that moment, truly, we were united in that, well, the police don't get us, maybe <laughs> the pandemic will or something. So, yeah, um, in that regard, I felt both privileged and also weirdly at least able to get a small taste of being on the same level as like being in imminent danger and not knowing, you know? So I was like, you know what? Like this is probably one of the few times in history I can really get a taste for that because like shit, I mean, I don't have any symptoms now, but give it two weeks and then we'll see, I guess. Cause all the COVID center or COVID testing centers are closed. So trying mm-hmm. to just stay indoors as much as possible. Um, I guess cause I take everything so metaphorically, I, they're like, well, if I get COVID, what an honor, huh? Because, like, I went to the protest and it wasn't just like, oh, here to have fun. It's more like, okay, that was actually, though, a legitimate, like, danger in some regard, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Like, it was like, like, this is, everyone's like, this, this protest is different because everyone cares. I'm like, yeah, and also because people might legit die from unrelated, like, protest, like, stuff in the moment. They might die afterwards, like the silent killer pandemic why there's even one but I think that it's kind of I don't want to say poetic because that sounds really bad but like I guess it is like you truly can show up in the same way and risk your life for your black brother or sister and like I think people really were like you know what yeah I'll go and fucking take that risk and people will pay for it unfortunately like there's already the cases spiking the reporting but I mean what else are you gonna do like people are still dying of police brutality Oh, and COVID, so gotta freaking deal with one of them. So yeah. 
Yeah, there's there's two viruses. There's the virus of racism and the oh, virus of Oh god, no. The cliche, you had to go there. <laughs> I, I, I I hate cliches, but hate that's, is a virus. Whoa. That's though, that's something that keeps, that keeps getting brought up. For, bold statement for someone hiding behind a computer screen. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> expose you for the pun terrorist you are. Ah, uh, terrorist. I, love it. I'm I am I am cruel with my puns. This is true. Oh. Um Cruel mistress, wit, wit the cruel mistress. Ah, um, and I guess Mike, to you, uh, I I know you and I have talked a little bit off air in regards to safety and coronavirus. Um, you know, I I know I've told you a few times, kind of my issue with going out and yeah. and how much exposure, just because I do live with somebody who's immunocompromised. Um, but I I guess what's What's kind of been your take? Because I, I know you've you've been telling me about booking it and you know staying in your car when you when you need to. But I guess kind of flush out flush that out a little bit. Yeah, I mean, so to be honest, I did this entire interview in my car um, outside, away from my landlord, who I know um, would be. My landlord lives with me, and she would be very um, – not that I could legally get evicted, but it would be a very messy um, next few months if she knew that I was um, exposed to the coronavirus in the fashion that I am every day. Um, so there's that. But I, I think Crystal kind of touched on it like, yeah, you know, it, it's out there. Um, and I'm saying we do a reunion episode in two weeks and see who's still here. That's just me. Um, but morbid. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> womp womp. <laughs> um, so I have um, with with the protests and um, seeing people get shot and stuff in Van Nuys um, and the heat stroke and everything like that. I. Um, actually had a friend in Colorado that is working and she's unable to get to any protests in her area. So she asked me how she could help. Um, and she donated two first aid kits to myself. Um, and I, in my bag, I have 10 different masks, um, bandanas. I have rubber gloves. I have, um, hand sanitizer in the gel and then hand sanitizer in a spray bottle. I have uh, 10 different uh, little iced water bottles that are melted and nicely cooled by the time I'm actually out walking. Um, and what else do I got? Um, gauze, band-aids, um, ice packs, all these things to help uh, protect and help people um, if, they are get, if they are shot again, if we are tear gassed again. Um, I did take a first a first aid class, a street first aid um, class via Zoom this morning, um, and I have a. If you're at the protest this week, just look for the short guy with an American flag on his backpack, and I have medical supplies written on my backpack, um, and. That's another way that I know that I can help. Um, 
like I said, there were people running around with these cases of water for us and I'm not that athletic. <laughs> um, with, with the coronavirus, I've definitely gotten bored and started working out again, but I'm not nearly there. Um, so pretty much just double bagging it. Um, like, uh, like Sean said, um, with the masks and, um, rubber gloves and hand sanitizer and staying hydrated. Um, that's another, if not as dangerous as, um, I want to say tear gas or, or getting shot at, but maybe not so. No, it's, it's, it's good that you're, you're, you're showing up to stuff prepared and, and you've got your, you got everything you need with you. I mean, it's, you know, and Sean too, it's kind of like, it's the boy scout motto of being prepared. And yeah, hey, uh, Sean double bagging them. That's how you know they break. Right. <laughs> you're not supposed to do that bro <laughs> now, now you're giving me restaurant ptsd mike um, sorry bro before before we start wrapping things up I, we got one final question for everybody um and, and obviously it's it's not it's a lot like coronavirus we're we're still in the middle of things and you know there's still protests planned at least from now as a recording on June 3rd until the end of the week. Um, obviously, there's been protests all across the country. There's been countless incidents of police brutality and countless incidences of looting and rioting. And of course, you know, we can't leave out uh, uh, the dang Cheeto hiding in his bunker. Um or as he said, he was just inspecting his bunker. He wasn't actually hiding in the bunker Wait, did he legit with all the lights out. Yeah, I don't yes. know. I, I deleted Twitter, so I, I can't. <laughs> he, 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 he told reporters that um, he was just simply inspecting. It was only for a little bit of, of like a little tiny bit of time. But um, Believe me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's the, the lights out at the White House speaks volumes. Um. But I guess to, to wrap, to kind of wrap this up, I guess, and again, this may seem like a very premature question, um, but that's also just because I'm, I'm like everybody else. I'm trying to process everything and, you know, evaluate where we all go from here. And, and so with that, I might as well just ask, I guess, where, where do we go from here and, and what, what could happen in the, in the weeks to come? Um, well, personally, um, you know, I think the, the next steps are going to have to be organization. Um, you know, I, I saw a lot, you know, I was really happy to see the Jackie Lacey, you know, a very focused protest that mm -hmm. could potentially enact change. Um, right. no matter what your opinions are on Jackie Lacey or her, um, you know, the prosecution of cops, um, you know, I've covered a few of her debates. I don't think that she has a record to stand on there. Um, I think she's done a piss poor job there and, you know, she she's very vulnerable there and far more vulnerable now that this is returned to such a spotlight, this this issue. Um, but, you know, I, I do think, you know, as I was saying, you know, these more pointed protests that can enact change, I think, has to be kind of the the next step. And I think that's probably what we're going to start seeing a little bit more. Um, 
you know, going after very particular things that you may be able to change or, or bring to light. Um, a couple of weeks down the line, um, you know, I'm not really sure. It's kind of like the COVID thing. Um, you know, I'm really not sure where we will be in a couple of weeks. I would like to think that we're still carrying this momentum and this energy. And 90% of me thinks that we will be. The other 10% of me is a cynic and um, remembers the way that Occupy Wall Street fizzled out. Um, I thought that was, yep. you know, I thought that was probably our best bet at that time to really see some strong change. And I thought we lost, we didn't capitalize there. And I'm saying we, you know, just speaking as a person, um, not as a journalist here, just we, because I, I agree with a lot of the things that we are protesting out on the streets. Um, but I, I just want to see true organizations, you know, um, and if in a couple of weeks there starts to be kind of the, the, the budding of some true um, impactful grassroots organization past what we're already getting. And that's not to um, denigrate what we're already seeing. What we're seeing is great. But, mm. you know, as what we've already, it's been pointed out, we do have a lot of people out there that really aren't on the same page. They may agree to a certain extent, but the way to go forward is still a question mark. And I think if that gets solidified moving forward, we'll see really this, you know, I don't think this is the I don't think this is how big is it, it's going to get. It can get far bigger if they capitalize. Um, yeah, I think that reunion episode sounds pretty great. <laughs> like, we're <laughs> talking about it again. Um, yeah, I guess, like, my main thing I want to, like, encourage people to do is just, like, like I think that, um, like, it's good to, like, talk about your experiences with what's going on. But I think also my main thing is I want, hopefully, everyone to kind of be checking, like, in with just like I guess the questions it's forced people to ask right now are all questions that we should have been asking a long time ago which mm -hmm. tangential to you know how we're helping with black lives it's like the filter through which you can even comprehend and move to be making change even when you know there's not a shooting death to provoke you into it um I feel like it has to do with just being aware that there's more to things than meet the eye. Like people were talking about this far before George Floyd and far before this pandemic. So I guess I think that any, you know, death or muteness or blindness that we had before was because we don't check in with ourselves and our understanding of morality and the human experience enough. So I guess um, I feel like the biggest takeaway I want to have listeners inquire is to kind of reckon with, your complicity in enabling like shit when you're not like trying to dial into what you really want, what you really value, what your ideology is on the human race and all that. So I guess I, I just really want to, you know, say that it starts with checking with your own biases, like your own like guilt driven actions, your own guilt driven avoidance of your feelings. I think that more emotional intelligence and a lack of access to education, all of that can like kind of contribute to the conditions that would enable this to continue. Cause it's like so many factors too, like at the last election, all of mm -hmm. this. So I think that's a really important point to bring up. Um, and I think that, you know, my criticism of journalism, not the journalists, but the institution is that it sometimes makes people have to kind of deaden their 
humanity in an attempt to be objective, but then you become a stenographer. So I think that what I would really say, because we're all, we all have a relation to journalism here in some way, I really feel like using your skepticism and curiosity as a way to dig harder for the truth is actually a mark of being a good journalist. And I don't think this is always promoted in a cycle where, you know, we are trying to get the best news the fastest way. And that's something I really want to like people using their humanity as a motivation to ask better questions of not just the people, but also of themselves. So I think that's something I really want to implore because I think that when I started looking at life through a more curious lens, not just like with racial justice, but also with like, I don't know, my love life, I started dating better. And I think that same thing of asking the better questions because you're taught to do that in school. And when you do this line of work, that should apply to all areas of your life. So, yeah. Can I I add something to that? You know, um, that's something that, you know, that whole question of, separating yourself from the story, right? Um, That's something that I think a lot of people struggle with, how to properly do that. Um, I've kind of settled in my head, you know, I've I've mentioned it, you know, I'm I'm black and I'm covering a a protest that is spawned from the, you know, unjust murder of a black man. And it's very early on, it was very difficult for me to separate myself from that, you know, how I would report it, you know, getting my opinions out of it, it, um, really early on, that was something that was very difficult for me to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think there's incredible importance there. Um, but, the, you know, I, I also believe that no journalist can ever truly be objective. So it's a stupid thing to kind of strive for. Um, yeah. You know, it's like the inverted pyramid. We all, you know, the inverted pyramid is structured by order of importance. So you're making mm-hmm. a judgment call based off your opinion on what is most important in that story. Um, that's an opinion. That's that's a bias that you're you're putting there. The way you construct your lead is a bias that you're, you know, it, it may not be the most overt bias, but it's a bias. So I, I just, you know, wanted to point that out as something that's been on my mind um, as I go out there and, and cover this stuff. And, and I'll, I'll briefly say this, that, uh, you know, Sean, you and I know uh without naming names i mean we've we've known journalists of color who have been wrongfully terminated because they were black covering black lives matter events and you know i think that's just it is that you have the sort of internal um the internal kind of gap between how do you cover something just strictly as a journalist but then how do you separate your own identity and you know, or even not even your own identity, your own humanity, even like it's it doesn't matter until an editor questions it as if it were a problem. And I know that that can apply even if you're just covering a smaller story. But the fact that anything like that could happen with the reporter, you know, it's um, you want me to you want wait. Crystal is literally a, a tarot and uh, a psychic and you want me to look and tell you what's what two weeks are going to be like look man last week hey look i never said i never said i was a psychic i apologize Uh, i mean i guess i i i'm not saying i'm not a psychic but i'm not saying i am you're a journalist you have to use objective facts here i don't like this 
coloring of my narrative. Excuse me. Asking the wrong people wrong questions. What? Yeah, you're not delegated accordingly. <laughs> Look, last week we weren't protesting at all. Okay. And then the mm-hmm. week before that, I think the safer in place order was supposed to be up by now. Um, so I have no idea what the next two weeks are going to be like. Um, if I look at history in a macro sense, I can tell you that we are, um, we are starting something very big. Um, at least that's how I feel. Um, we have a very big election coming up. Um, and uh, I mean, hell, the the orange Cheeto, as you call him, um, he said it himself. He's not going to leave peacefully. Um, so I think it helps that the movement is already um, starting to get organized and we're starting to get more comfortable with each other. Um, and we're starting to get um, back into back into each other's care, um, and that's really what this this is all about: is just taking care of each other. Mm-hmm. Um, from the coronavirus all the way down to the protests, is just take care of each other. Do for your neighbor what you would want your neighbor to do for you, or however the saying goes. Um, so. Yeah. So yeah. Wait. Hey. Sorry. I, I I know this podcast is like almost over, but I still wanted to add more because yeah, is that okay? <laughs> uh yeah. She knows because yeah. she knows. She see she knows. Okay. Okay. I no, I don't like. Well, I guess I do. I guess I wanted to say one, two things. One kind of kooky, one not. The kook, yep. non-kooky one I wanted to add was that you know, like I really believe that like. objective journalism so to speak that term was defined it's not defined objective there's no objective definition it is just defined by its precedents and the precedents have always been set by older white men so you know i'm not even going to pick on mike for being a white guy here because he's not an old white guy who doesn't know how to use a computer (laughs) okay come on no anyways (laughs) um so I will say that like these standards of objectivity are uh, so outdated, if, if anything, and also extremely one-dimensional. And mm. from what I can see, again, this is not like me saying, oh, I'm so psychic, or but, but I guess like because again, I look at like history and precedents and the way things tend to go, and I feel like all these skills that we learned as journalists, even if they aren't compatible with the institutions that are hiring us to do things for like pennies and like not always publishing things in the way we want these research skills and learning to be professional questioners and listeners that's going to take us way further in a society so I guess I always think that I'm always doing the roles that I learned how to do in school to the best of my ability and adding my own spin on it I'm still doing the work that I would want journalism to have been for me, even if I don't identify currently as a journalist. And Mm -hmm. my role in society is always going to be around the idea of, I know how to research fast, I I have an investigative degree, I know how to investigate things, I know how to question and listen. And even if I'm not writing for the Washington Post right now, I'm still doing the work for the people 
And maybe sometimes the people defining it aren't the people I want to be serving and helping. Um, mm. So that's how I see that. And second of all, <laughs> well, I do know a lot about astrology as a tarot reader. And <laughs> I do want to point out that without naming specifics to overwhelm the listeners, the same planetary placements that were in place during the Rodney King riots, the American Revolution, and the fall of Rome are all in the sky right now. All three of those. Yeah. So, Holy cow. Yeah, and a lot of the planets are doing this thing called retrograde, which basically, I'm sure you've heard of Mercury retrograde. But what retrograde mm-hmm. means is the energy of a planet, it will start to go backwards, so to speak, through the signs. So essentially, if you're fighting against the way that things have just been, you're going to come face to face with your shadow. I mean, it's on an individual hero's journey level for every single person on the planet. So if everyone's having to face their shadow collectively, then of course, as a society, we're all doing that. We're coming face to face with reckoning with who are we as a person and as a people. And I mean, when you have to ask those questions, that's when institutions that are keeping people from asking those questions must crumble. Because honestly, it's questions and curiosity that really breaks down things energetically. That That is how we're going to law of attract, I guess, some social change. So yeah. <laughs> That was the fastest brag I've ever heard. Serious. <laughs> Wait, fastest I, brag? I, yeah, I love that. It was like, you looked at it through a journalistic perspective, and then you were like, well, in astronomy. And <laughs> that was very, wow. No, honestly, I'm just, I, I've been so floored from start to finish. <laughs> uh, floored by what, may I ask? Just uh. your manner of speaking, I, I would say. <laughs> yeah, you're. I'm like, oh, tarot readers, psychic astrologist. Oh, also, I I have written for the Washington Post and worked with David Fahrenholt. It's like, but what? That's, but that's so cool. Like, you know, it's such, <laughs> like, oh, my God. It's so cool. Yeah, um, well, I don't actually know if that was um, Sebastian, Mike, or Mancini, actually. <laughs> <laughs> that was, that was. That one was Sebastian. Do um, we really sound that much alike? Oh, God, yeah. do I sound like them? Dude, I feel like I've been talking to the same guy for saying different things for the whole hour. I have to be like, no, wait, there's four different men in this call, but I've been using Zoom. I can be like, look, four different people. But here I'm like, nope, nope, they're all just men. And they, so they sound kind of like they could be, you know, like on NPR or something. I have like this really high pitched voice. And if this was on camera, I'd be waving my hands around and stuff and like oh, me too. smiling smiling unsolicitedly so very much different energy but yeah (laughs) well it i i thank you all so much for everything that you had to share with us i think um something that i know a lot of uh podcasts and and online shows have had some difficulty in is maintaining the spirit of their shows with some levity but also being passionate and being raw about everything going on and uh this is what makes the three of you such great storytellers is that despite the funk that a lot of people are in with everything happening um you've made it a very enlightened discussion uh to all three of you welcome to mars if you guys have any social media plugs uh let people know where to find you yeah um so i i have a twitter um, I admit I'm terrible at using it, um, but I do have one. If you are brave enough to follow me, it's uh, Sean Paul Thomas. I spell my name the uh, the Irish way, S-E-A-N. Um, Sean Paul Thomas. Um, 
you can find me on Twitter. And then my Instagram is SPT, my initials, um, Journo, J-O-U-R-N-O, uh, one, the numeral one. Um, and that's my Instagram. That's where um, I've been doing a lot of my uh, reporting has been through Instagram, um, mm. through stories and uh, things of that nature as in between um, freelance pieces. So uh, if you want an eye on the uh, ground in DTLA, follow me there. Um. <laughs> Wow, you know, honestly, I didn't say this till the very end, but I do miss um, being on the ground. So, uh, but yeah, um, I am on Instagram at Crystal X Crystal like the stone, C R Y S T A L X D U A N. Um, as mentioned at the beginning of this episode, I do do um, tarot readings. If you're curious about how that intersects with journalism, feel free to follow me and DM me for a reading. Um, yeah, I'm doing donation based. For now, for anyone who has donated money to a fund or protested uh, this week. And yeah, usually my rates are closer to the hundreds. So be be swift, I guess. <laughs> so yeah, um, you can follow me primarily on Instagram. I don't, I don't have any protest coverage, but I guess I do have it, spiritual insight that combines with like social justice, which... I think is unique, but who knows if any one of us is really unique, huh? So yeah. <laughs> Yo, Mike, Crystal, you yeah. you and I are gonna need to do a reading like immediately after this. I don't so I know. You're... I don't know who's saying this. Who it's are Mike. You? It's me. It's my. It's me. It's my turn. It's Mike. Uh, in, the words, in, the like words, in the words of Heath Ledger, I think we're destined to do this forever. Oh. <laughs> I just I just said, are we all the same? Haha. But I was really just trying to get away from feeling like. Again, this is one voice of millennial men or something. It's, it's just it's just the sentient voice. I don't know kind of who talked. I don't know who talking. It's that like really, you know, the cool guy voice, right? Not, I don't know. That's not Mancini. That's either. Yes. You guys all sound the same. Okay, keep going. I'm sorry. All right. Um. So hi, my name is Mike. Um. I've been at the protests, and I'm the short guy with the American flag backpack that says medical supplies. Um, for social media, I guess my AOL instant messenger is Materia354. That's Materia with two A's at the end. Um, and that's also my Instagram. So M-A-T-E-R-I-A-A-354. So when it comes to social media handles, you can as well find me on Twitter and on Instagram, far more active on Instagram than I am on Twitter. I've actually deleted the app just to kind of take a break from it. But you can find me both on there as uh, at Dr. Sebi. That's at D-R-S-E-B-B-Y. It was a high school username and I've been too lazy to change it. Uh, on Twitter, it's the same, uh, just with an underscore at D-R underscore S-E-B-B-Y. You can also find me on Google through uh, simply just Sebastian Shug. There you'll find my independent publishing company, Sebastian Shug Publishing. Feel free to send me a manuscript. All the details are made available through there. Speaking of which, um, I've actually taken it upon myself to uh, contribute to the ever-changing times and have published uh, something rather unique to uh, what I typically do. Um, just a little bit of background because I know everyone's gotta go but i typically focus in satire but i wanted to really give back to the community as of late uh, as such i've published a um an itemized list uh by the name of read their names which is as i said an itemized list uh documenting each and every um 
a victim of you know police brutality, uh, systemic oppression, and more in general just racial bigotry. Uh, it is available in both ebook and print formats, and to be as transparent as possible, every single royalty payment will be donated to the Minnesota Freedom Fund. It is available wherever possible. Um, in the instance of me allowed to sell it for free, uh, it will be sold for free. Um, but in the instances of me having to name a price, it will go to the Minnesota Freedom Fund as well. Other than that, feel free to find me on literally anywhere creative, uh, Redbubble, Anchor, YouTube. And just before we wrap up, um, as always, you can find me on Twitter at Mancini_RA, and you can find me on Instagram at Mancini_Ryan. And before I let everybody go, I just want to say one other quick uh, shout out to uh, one of our recent guests, Janice Shirell, uh, she has a new episode of The Jump Off, which is uh, directly addressing what is going on in the country right now. Um, check that out. Uh, we have all of her social media still available on that episode that we had her on a few weeks back. And uh, I guess before I finally let everyone, everyone go, um, I just have this one very quick quote that has been ringing around in my head for the last week that I just wanted to share. Um, uh, Come mothers and fathers throughout the land and don't criticize what you can't understand. Your sons and your daughters are beyond your command. Your old road is rapidly aging. Please get out of the new one if you can't lend your hand for the times they are a-changing. And with that, to Sean... Crystal and Mike, thank you all so much for coming to Mars. Thank you. Thank you, bro. Thank you. You've been listening to Mars on Life. Please make sure that you find us over on social media at Mars on Life Show on both Twitter and on Instagram. And on top of that, you can find this show on Anchor, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Our artwork is done by Zachary Erbrick, and our intro music is Space Explorers by Kevin McLeod. I've been Ryan Mancini. My co-host, as always, is Sebastian Shug. And just remember, if you keep on going, you'll make it to Mars. <laughs>